Hello and welcome to the Particular Baptist podcast. Um, today we are, well, first of all, Sean and I are back after kind of a long hiatus. Um, we were traveling and there was some sickness and it, it just worked out that we took a long break. <laughs> so after three weeks, we're back. Um, so thank you for your patience. Um, but we're picking back up in our series on through Dennis Prager's uh, ser short series on the Ten Commandments or the Ten Sayings, as we'll talk about today, as he talks about. Um, but we're on uh, the beginning or kind of the preface of the Ten Commandments, I am the Lord your God. He has a specific video that he talks about with this, um, and we'll go ahead and, and dive right into that. Um, Sean, is there any introductory comments you want to bring forth before we dive into the video? Um, not really. Uh, I guess I'll just say that, as, as Dan alluded to, um, he's dealing with what we would call the introduction to the Ten Commandments, but he actually calls the uh, the First Commandment. Um, and we'll get into why we don't think that it's uh, appropriate to label this as the First Commandment. But um, just as a as a note, so people don't get confused right from the start. Yep. Yeah, he's going to come at this from a kind of wonky perspective, but we'll dive right in. Like last time, we'll play the entire video. We'll comment as we go through. Um, have any questions, comments, pop them in um, to the, if you're on YouTube or Facebook, they'll show up on our end so we can see them and join the discussion. So we'll go ahead and dive right into Prager's video. What is the first of the Ten Commandments? Might seem like an odd question, but it's not. Jews and Christians give different answers. The reason is that what we know as the Ten Commandments is, in the original Hebrew, the Ten Statements. And since the Hebrew is the original, we begin with the first statement, which all religions agree is, I am the Lord your God, who took you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Do you want to say anything, Sean? Uh, yeah, I guess I can, I can jump in right here. Um, so, Dennis Prager... Uh, translates uh, the Hebrew word that's used in, in reference to the Ten Commandments as, as statements, the Hebrew word uh, devar as, as statements. And um, that is a legitimate translation, um, but he, he makes the point, I guess, that, um, well, it's the Ten Statements, therefore the very first thing should be this a statement, and that is, I am the Lord your God. Um, however, the, the word devar actually can have the uh, the connotation of a commandment. And um, just uh, two spots where uh, the word is used, um, Daniel uh, 9.25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem under the, the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troubled times. Um, so you'll note there that uh, the word has been translated uh, commandment, and it fits well with the context because there was a command uh, by the king of Persia to have, uh, or there will be a command, I should say, um, uh, for the uh, Jerusalem to be rebuilt. It's command. So it's perfectly acceptable in that context to translate the word as command. Um, and then I also had um, Genesis 44 2. Um, and this is uh, about uh, Joseph and um, 
uh, what uh, Joseph said, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the sack's mouth of the youngest and his corn money, and this is the servant, um, and he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. So Joseph um, speaks to his servant to do this, and um, the servant does this. So you'll note in this context, the word word, it's here translated as word, but it really is a commandment. Um, so the word, um, just like a, a lot of words, can have different nuances in how you use it and means slightly different things. So I don't think it's inappropriate to translate it as commandment. And I actually think it's a little interesting that um, he, he has a little slight dig on commandments not being the original, but the original Hebrew is statement, when actually that's not even technically true. I looked it up in um, two different lexical sources. Uh, the first is uh, Brown Driver's Briggs, uh, which is a, uh, a fairly well-known uh, Hebrew lexicon. And they just said it, uh, its primary definitions are speech or word. And I looked it up in uh, Strong's and it uh, said the same thing. So it's not even that it's um, it's statement. It's more akin to word or speech or um, saying or something like that. Um, statement obviously is related to those and is a, probably a valid translation in certain contexts. But that's not the, the literal definition there. Um so it's a little interesting that like, oh, we can't like the word commandment. That's that's not correct. But I can use statement, which isn't necessarily the literal translation. It's a valid translation, but it's not the literal translation. So just a little bit of background there. Um, and th this this allows him this framework allows him to say that, oh, this is the first commandment. I am the Lord or the first statement. I am the Lord, your God. And um, we'll get into more, I think, why that's probably in a, that, that is inappropriate um, as we go on. But just wanted to note that. No, that's a good point. Um, it, it's like he's he's not telling the entire story of the etymology behind it. Um, and yeah, it's only a five minute video or whatever. It, it's about five minutes. Um, but if you're going to make an assertion like that, you need to be able to back it up because there will be people who like us who can come and say, well, you know, this it says this over here, this over here. Um, and it also changes, like you said, it's going to set him up for how he presents the rest of his arguments, right? It yeah. sets it really sets it up. I think it's going to set the stage for the rest of the series, but it it really does set up how um, he's going to discuss uh, the rest of this video. Yep. This statement is so important that none of the other commandments make sense without it. First, oh, it asserts that God. Yeah. You'll note he he then immediately went to use. The word commandment none of the other commandments um work right. without it he's um, interchanging so he, the terminology yeah so even uh he's he's using the terminology but it's funny because i am the lord of god is not a commandment it is a, it is just a statement um and uh, maybe I'll, I'll get into a little bit of the argument here um in order for well there are 10 commandments, right? We'll go through them and show that there are 10 unique commandments. So if you're trying to translate it as, as oh, well, there are 10 statements, you would really have 11. Um, now he's, uh, and we'll get more into the reason why next episode um, that this is inappropriate, but he actually combines the first and second commandment into one commandment. And that's how he's able to maintain the, the order of 10. 
And then next episode, we can go into more specifics about why they really are two separate commandments. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's in order to um, maintain his list and keep this as the first commandment, what we would just say is an introductory uh, uh, statement to the, the coming Ten Commandments. He's got to combine two. Yep. Yeah, It he's really trying to make it work on both sides. And then I guess try to use the terminology interchangeably to try and make his system work. Uh, yeah, but it, it really makes it more confusing, I think, than anything else. Yeah, if I were going to say, oh, it shouldn't be translate commandment, it should be translate statement, <laughs> I just use the word statement the entire time. I wouldn't refer right. to it as the other commandments when the one I'm referring to uh, is not a commandment. It's just it's just exactly. confusing. Yeah, because you, you can see very clearly, you know, once you get past the quote statement i am the lord your god who brought you out of the land of egypt there are imperatives you know yes don't have any other guys reform me don't yep. make idols don't take the lord lord's name in vain and you can't really say that they are strict statements at that point um or merely statements i should say i guess they yeah. can be statements in their own right but they can't be merely statements like he's presenting them exactly so he's he's getting himself in a digging a hole for himself that he's not gonna be able to get out of God is giving these commandments, not Moses and not any other human being. Second, God is the one who delivered you from slavery. Again, no human being did this, not even Moses. Therefore, you have an obligation to me, God. And what is that obligation? That you live by the following nine commandments. This is the beginning of what is known as ethical monotheism the greatest world-changing innovation of the Hebrew Bible. It means two things. Do you want to pause there? Monotheism. So I I would want to ask him a little bit more what he means with that language of the world-changing uh, world innovation of ethical monotheism. Because to me, innovation sounds like this is something new. Whereas to be Jewish as Dennis Brager is, or to be Christian is to have a recognition that this isn't actually an innovation at all. Um, because God has been around since the beginning. It's not even the first time he's given a law. He gave a law to Adam in the garden. Um, so it's, it's, it's weird language to say this is a world changing innovation. Um, I mean, I guess you could argue that since, um, the dispersion of the nations at Babel, um, most people weren't aware that God had ever given a law, but I don't know. It's just weird language, and I I, I don't like it. it. It feels very much like a lot of the ways that um, theological liberals will speak about things in the Bible, like, oh, this was a an innovation. It had never been uh, thought of before, when really it's like, no, it's just historical. This is an event that happened, but God existed prior to this. <laughs> Yeah, and I would have to assume that the law of God had no role in human society prior to um, the law being given to the Israelites in Exodus 20 or, mm -hmm. or Deuteronomy um, 18 or whatever the other yeah. pastors are. And so actually, it, uh, we have examples. Um, I want to say Cain and Abel are giving sacrifices, right? We're not told when they're given right. the law regarding the sacrifice, but they're doing it. So it'd be a little it would be a little silly to say that, oh, well, the rest of the law, the moral law, was never in any way, uh, any way given. Um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think this ties directly to what we'll see later, is that Prager 
sees the Ten Commandments or the Ten Statements or whatever he wants to call it as really a societal framework and nothing more than that. Yeah. Um, there's no spiritual significance to this besides maybe that they came from God and it's how we're, God has called us to live. But it really just has to do with how you're supposed to treat your neighbor and how society is to be framed. There's really no there's no spiritual significance other than that, if that's even considered spiritual significance from his point of view. Um, so I think that this is tying into that. Oh, look, it's like this big societal change that came on the scene. And then, oh, look what it did to the Israelites. And then it became the framework for the United States government. Um, I think that's probably the trajectory is going. Yeah, definitely. Hey, what did uh, I see that uh, Christy Aramu said something? What'd she say? Hey guys, I've seen the videos in the past, but don't know much about him. Does he profess to be a Christian? Oh, no. no. Um, Christy, thanks for the question. It's a good question. So uh, Dennis Prager is a professing Jew. Um, so he's coming at this and there might be different strains of Judaism, um, but he's coming at this from a Jewish perspective. Um, it's certainly not a, a Christian perspective. Yeah. No, so he's, um, despite being politically conservative, he's actually a little bit more on the theologically liberal side of uh, Judaism. He would not be considered um, uh, conservative. Uh, I know for one example, he holds that there's, there's no issue with uh, gay marriage, which obviously would not be a uh, conservative position within Judaism. So, uh, yeah, he's, he's not even necessarily representative of uh, conservative Judaism. Mm. So he's kind of his own branch a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't claim to be an expert on exactly right. what his, his religious beliefs are. That's, um, that's basically the extent to what I know. But yeah. Good question. All right, we press on here. Means that the one God, that's monotheism, is the source of ethics, of morality. Morality, an objective code of right and wrong, does not emanate from human opinion. It emanates from God and therefore transcends human opinion. And we would agree with that 100%. Absolutely. Um, yeah. That, And I appreciate that he does emphasize this because he, he basically taught this in the introductory video. You know, the reason why morality can't be relative is because at least it relates to Ten Commandments. It comes from God. It transcends men. Um, and therefore, there is an objective standard. Um, so like we talked about before, he basically gives the moral argument for the existence of God, reason for God. Um, so but we would 100 percent agree with this. God's law does transcend human opinion and therefore is objective, especially since it's grounded and emanates from um, God's immutable, unchanging nature. Right. So if if it comes from God's unchanging nature and it's grounded in his very unchanging nature, it can't change. God is transcendent. His law is transcendent because it comes from God. Therefore, um, it is objective. It can't be changed based on human opinion or the whims of men. Um, so we would agree with that 100 um, percent. We would just obviously take the different conclusion than he does about the law of God as a result. But we would agree with him on that. The other meaning of ethical monotheism is that what God most wants from us is that we treat other human beings morally. None of the Ten Commandments concern what humans must do, quote-unquote, for God. Pre-Ten Commandments religions all... 
Now, this is where it really starts to get messy. Um, when we're talking about the law of God, we have to be very careful that we don't read um, man's societal problems, man's societal situations um, back into the scriptures. And again, like I said already, Prager is coming at this from a um, really from just a societal point of view. Right. He sees the law of God as primarily about or completely about um, how to shape society, how to treat our neighbors. And I think we can demonstrate this very clearly that this is not the case. Uh, the Reformed have historically broken the law of God up into two uh, tables. You have the first table, which is about God, worship for God, love for God. And the second table, which is love for neighbor, how we treat our neighbor. Right. They're two distinct modes of the law, but they're they're all related to one another. They inter they're intertwined. You can't have one without the other, and vice versa. Um, but they are distinct, and they have their purposes. So when we're talking about the first table of the law, like I am the Lord your God, brought you out of the land of Egypt, and uh, not making other gods before Him, not uh, taking His name in vain, and keeping the Sabbath day, that has nothing to do. Um, at least primarily in and of itself it has nothing to do with how we treat our neighbor. It's how we treat God first, because that's our first love. That is our first obligation is love for God. Right. Uh, and we can, we can see this very clearly. I mean, you just, you just move on a little bit into the passage, uh, Exodus 20 verse five, you shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children uh, to the third and fourth generation of those hate me. Uh, there's nothing in here about how I'm treating my neighbor as it relates to not worshiping idols, right? It's how I worship God. It, God is a jealous God, and therefore, at because he's the creator, because he is uh, the one who has the right to demand worship of his creatures, he can, in a right, just sense, be jealous. And so this has to do with how we treat God, and God will punish those who do not worship uh, him only. Um, we look at Leviticus uh, 19, uh, 1 through 4, and it says, and the, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people uh, of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of uh, cast metal. I am the Lord your God. So you can even see there is there are commands in here that talk about loving neighbor, right? It says, you, every one of you shall revere his mother and father. But it ultimately all ties back to worshiping and loving God, right? And most of and the primary context here is about worshiping him, not making idols, uh, because this is a violation of God's holiness. We should not do that. Um, and that's the grounding. Um, you jump over to Isaiah 44. 9 through 11, all who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a god or casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are only human. Let them all assemble, let them stand forth. They shall be terrified, they shall be put to shame uh, together. Again, this is in direct relation to the commands to not create idols, right? Those who fashion idols are stupid. They're nothing. They're foolish because of, of what they're doing. 
And in context here, God has declared himself to be the creator, the sustainer of the universe, right? He's the first and the last. There's no other God besides him. Um, so then it follows that to make idols is is utterly stupid and and foolish because the creator of the universe has spoken and, and already made himself known in these ways and done these things. So idolatry has everything to do with our relation to God and not in uh, relation to man. Um, and then finally, we look at uh, Leviticus 19.12. Um, it says, I will send. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Zechariah 5.4 in the Leviticus 19.12. It will, I will send it out, declares the Lord of hosts, and it shall enter the house of the thief and the house of him who swears falsely by my name, and it shall remain in his house and consume it, both timber and stones. So we, those who take the Lord's name in vain, those who take, um, who swear falsely by the Lord, they will be punished. Why? Because it's a it's a violation of of God's name. It's a sin against God directly. Uh, Leviticus nineteen twelve. You should not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Again, this is a sin against God. This is a commandment. The third commandment has to do with our relation uh, to God. Um, and what's interesting, uh, in verse 11 of Leviticus 19, Moses says that the people are not to deal falsely uh, with their neighbor. So he talks, addresses love for neighbor, but then shifts into talking about um, how they're to deal with oaths as it relates to swearing by the name of God. So he shifts from dealing with how they're to deal with their neighbors in verse 11 to verse 12, dealing with how they're to relate to God. So even in uh, the old law, there is that distinction being made in Leviticus. So these are just things we have to be really cognizant of. And it, it's very interesting. None of my arguments were used from the New Testament. I used all of my arguments from the Old Testament, which you would think that um, Mr. Prager here as a Jew would uh, be well versed in. Um, but it seems that he is conveniently overlooked or maybe he just doesn't know. But that would be um, a slight more on the knowledge that I think he should have as as one who claims to hold the Old Testament in such esteem um, than the arguments he's presenting here. But anything you want to add to that, Sean? Yeah, I do want to make a, a New Testament argument, although um, I'll, I'll ground its truth in the Old Testament. Um, when uh, someone comes and asks Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? He says, yep. uh, the greatest commandment is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then he says, and the second, meaning the second greatest commandment, the second is like it, um, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So he's asked, what is the greatest commandment? So obviously, what is he, he going to do? He's going to go to the law of God. And in this case, he goes to Deuteronomy and says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Uh, so this being the first commandment, um, the greatest commandment, puts it above the you shall love your neighbor as yourself it's the second commandment it's important but it's not the first and greatest commandment and i think you can see this actually just from the text in the old testament itself mm -hmm. um the first uh, or the commandment in deuteronomy is you shall love the lord your god with all your heart mind soul and strength the commandment from leviticus 19 you shall love your neighbor as yourself well loving your neighbor as yourself doesn't have the same force as you shall love the lord your god with all your heart mind soul and strength um, so you can even, you can hear, even hear it just comparing the two. Okay. One, I'm loving God with everything. The other, I'm loving my neighbor as I love myself. 
um, which is even a little bit more of a relative thing. It's um, it's just not as powerful, not as strong. So even just looking at those two texts, I think you can see that loving God is um, of a uh, more importance. Not that you can break either commandment and be okay. You're supposed to keep both of them. But um, you can even see the, the little bit of priority given there. Um, and that is what we see in the, the division of the law, right? Um, the grouping of commandments that deal with God, uh, commandments one through four, all come first. And then the laws concerning the relationship between um, men uh, come second. Why Why is that? Why that particular grouping? Why wouldn't they be interspersed? Or why wouldn't the one follow the, uh, why wouldn't men come first and then God? I think it's showing the priority of, no, God comes first and then men. Again, that's not to say that you can therefore ignore all the ones that are, are dealing with men because they're second. Every single um, commandment of God is to be kept. But if we were to rank um, in, in importance, the commandments uh, concerning God are in a sense more important. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Um, and I think we can, you can even pull this out of, place like romans 13 uh romans 13 8 through 10 um oh no in anything except to love one another for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law for the commandments you shall not commit adultery you shall not murder you shall not steal you shall not covet and any other commandment are summed up in this word you shall love your neighbor as yourself love does no wrong to a neighbor therefore love is the fulfilling of the law so uh you could even argue here that uh the commandments to love your neighbor comes secondary um, because really the love of uh, the love of neighbor is a fulfilling of the law. It's not the point of the law as uh, Prager would uh, have us believe here. It's fulfilling the law. It's, it's bringing to fruition what the law um, is about, at least in a sense, it's, it's really fulfilling our love for God, right? So we're loving God, we're worshiping God. And then as we're doing these commandments, we're obeying the second table of the law or the second greatest commandment, um, then we are fulfilling what the law demands, which is to love God and to love neighbor. And like I said, those those uh, two things, loving God, loving neighbor, are intertwined. If you're loving your neighbor, you are loving God, but there is an order. We love God first, then that love for neighbor flows out of that love for God. If our worship of God is right, if we're obeying the first four commandments correctly, then we will inevitably um, love our neighbor as ourselves, therefore fulfilling the law. Um, so I think that keeps that distinction that Jesus makes. Um, you know, you can see this in Mark 12, excuse me, where he he's talking to um, the scribes and saying, which is the most important, right? And he goes to uh, Deuteronomy 6, right? Lord of God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So it's a, there's they're so closely related to one another, but there's still a distinction there that we can't uh, we can't miss, or we fall into this error that Prager's making. All right, continue on here. All believe that people must do a lot for their gods. For example, feed them, and even sacrifice people to them. I think this is a really bad argument. Um, well, you know, this is what the pagans did back in the day before the Israelites came along. You know, they they fed them, they gave to them. So that can't be what God is talking about here. That that that's a very weak argument. I think we've already demonstrated why 
um, it, uh, through looking at these other passages. But just because pagans did this, they did things for their gods, does not mean that we are not obligated to do things for the one true and only God that exists, um, who demands righteousness and perfection from his creatures. Um, so I think that's a this is a very bad, bad argument. Yeah, it's a, it's a, honestly it's it's a little bit of a category error, right? Because um, we would agree that God doesn't need um, physical things to be done for, him. right? We, we don't need to feed God. Uh, right. We're told that God doesn't dwell in a temple made with hands, uh, as if He needed his spirit needed that. Yeah, yeah he's um, God doesn't need things. He he needs nothing. He doesn't even need us. So in a sense, yeah, we aren't able to do things for God. But we do do things for God in the sense of, well, he's worthy of me doing this, so I will do it for him. Um, so it's a little bit of a, a category error um, to say like, oh, well, we don't none of the commandments deal with doing the things for God. Um, well, no, I, I keep the Lord's I don't um, take the Lord's name in vain for God because he is, his name is holy and is worthy to not be taken in vain. Um, that's doing something for God, at least in a sense. Yep, exactly. But now, thanks to the Ten Commandments, mankind learned that what God wants is that we be good to our fellow human beings. Even the commandments concerning not having false gods and not carrying God's name in vain are ultimately about morality. The thing we can do for God... As if morality is some kind of standard floating around out here outside of God's law, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, that that implies that there's. A, he says, um, "I'll go back uh, slightly, just so I can quote exactly what yep. he said." Um, morality. Uh, yeah. So even the commandments concerning not having false gods and uh, not carrying God's name in vain are ultimately about morality, and I agree, they are ultimately about morality. But that doesn't mean in distinction from them being for God, because to right. do something for God is about morality. Right. Um, he, like, he's trying to separate those two things. Yeah. Which confused me a great deal, because that like that seems to me just to be obvious. But he presents <laughs> it as like, oh, well, obviously it's about morality. It's not for God. It's a, and then it's a he's very... the one who was saying that these Ten Commandments come from God and therefore transcend human authority. So that would necessarily imply that these must be the standard of morality, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If this was a consistent uh, video, we wouldn't be here. Do for God is to treat all his other children decently. Every- and, and that's in and of itself, that's fine as far as it goes, because we've already said that Loving your neighbor is a form of loving God, but it still doesn't make that distinction necessary uh, between those the first and second table of the law. Well, he said the thing you right, can do thing. for God, yep. like the as if there was one thing you can do for God, and that's right. love your neighbor. Um, <laughs> that's not that's not correct at all. Um, and I didn't look up the passage before this, um, so I'm, I'm quoting it off the top of my head, but. Um, there's a, a spot where um, uh, in the law, um, if you if you given to the Israelites, if an Israelite comes upon even someone close, like a, a brother or um, a friend, and they have a, an idol um, that they've kept in secret, 
there to bring it before the uh, the community and have that person stoned. And um, God says, uh, "Your eye shall not pity him." Like you're not even to, you're not even to to think about um, you're not even to show any remorse. Like, oh, this is my friend. No, you're supposed to completely. He's going to die, and you're not supposed to pity him because he's done this wicked thing, right? Does that sound like, oh? I'm doing this for my fellow man as opposed to for God. No, you're supposed to have a relationship to God that's so ultimate that even um, your best friend, it doesn't matter if he's if he's doing something evil when it comes to his relationship to God, he is to be put out of the or is to be killed and you're not even yeah. to pity him. Yep. No, that's exactly right. His. The love for God was to transcend that love for neighbor. Exactly. Jesus did the same thing in, in those well-known passages about um, forsaking your mother, your father, your mother-in-law, blah, blah, blah. Denying those close relationships. Uh, you're to hate them, quote unquote, hate them in relation to me. You're, those loves are to seem like hate because um, you're to love me first, right? So there's, again, there's that distinction again. There's that love for God that transcends human love that comes first and foremost before we love our neighbor. And that love for neighbor should flow out in the proper form as laid out in the law of God after we've put God first and made sure that we're worshiping him properly, we're honoring him properly. Because um, otherwise we're going to make an idol out of our friends or our neighbors. Um, so Mr. Prager again has this very much backwards. Parent can relate to this. Parents, or at least healthy parents, have indescribable joy when they see their children act lovingly toward one another, and indescribable pain when they see their children hurt one another. So too God, who is likened to our Father in heaven, cares most about how we treat other human beings, all of whom are his children. So this is a very bad false equivocation. Um, you know, God is just like uh, earthly father. So therefore his intentions must be exactly the same as ours. Um, that, that couldn't be further from the truth. God being the creator of the universe, which ironically he kind of, you know, he kind of puts off as unimportant. Well, you know, the, the, the Ten Commandments, I think he's going to talk about this later. The Ten Commandments don't start with, oh, I'm the Lord your God who created the universe. Yeah. Um, but as the creator of the universe and the first cause of all things, he can demand what he wills from his children. He's commanded that we love him first um, and he be worshipped above all things. Anything, And if anything else gets in the way of that, it is idolatry. Um, so this is a this is a earthly um, analogy uh, that is pushed back onto God, and it's uh, created this problem, I think, where we're seeing this love of neighbor being escalated above love for God first. Yeah, I, I did want to um, at least uh, mention, I found it interesting that he said something to effect of God who is likened unto our Father in heaven. Where does that come from? That doesn't come from the Old Testament. That comes from the New <laughs> Testament. Um, and I know... Uh, I, from what I gather, Dennis Prager would have like a, a more of a Judeo-Christian view, not completely throwing out Christianity, um, necessarily recognizing it that's legitimate, at least for pragmatic reasons. But it, it's just interesting to me that um, he would uh, he would new, use a New Testament teaching. Um, 
but I would yeah, like to just that is that I think that comes from Jesus even. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. from that's from the Lord's Prayer, I think. That's from the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. yeah. So in the in the Lord's Prayer is not quoting any Old Testament passage. That's no. that's Jesus giving instruction no. to his disciples. Yeah. I'm not um, sure, like I'd, I'd have to do a, a search, but I'm not sure how often I don't think there's any time in the Old Testament where God, the Father, is referred to as a father of um, humans. We would have a little bit of a dispute um, with the Jews in regards to, like, say, Psalm 2, who's who's the son, because we would say it's Jesus. Um, and I, I guess you could say that uh, Jesus is human because he's both human and God. So. And they, they might but, uh, take Isaiah 53 where, or wherever it's talking about um we would see as referring to Jesus. Yeah. Where it's talking about he is the, I think it's, what is it? The everlasting father. Prince of Oh, Peace. that's, that's, um, that's Isaiah uh, nine, I think. Oh, okay. but yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but I like in terms of God being a father to your regular person, the old Testament never says that. And it's because it's, it's not true. Um, the new Testament lets us know that God is actually not the father of all uh mankind um two quotations here from john um this is from john chapter 1 verses 11 through 13 speaking about jesus he came unto his own and his own received him not but as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of god even to them that believe on his name which were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of god so it's saying that those who believe in Jesus have the right to become sons of God, meaning they were not sons of God before. And then John 8, where Jesus is disputing with some of the Pharisees, you do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we're not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, ye would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Um, he, so he's not, he's saying that they're not, um, uh, God is not their father. And he'll later go on to say that you are of your father, the devil. Um, so there's a confusion between creation of God and being a child of God. Uh, we understand that in the fall, the relationship between man and God was severed so that, we are no longer children of God, and that's something that has to be rectified. We have to become children of God. Uh, the only time that I'm aware that um, the scriptures refer to uh, refer to in any sense us being like in a, a generation relationship um, with God is Acts 17, where it uses the term offspring or the offspring of God. But there's a difference between being an offspring and being a child or a son and a daughter. Um so the relationship has been broken, and I think it's it's it it's wrong to say everybody is a child of God when that's not true. We're under we're under the wrath of God until we are reconciled through His Son Jesus Christ. Yeah, I guess if you're if you're talking in a strict creative sense, you could say mm -hmm. we are His children, like you said, we are His offspring. But yeah, if yeah. we're talking about a real child father relationship as that intimacy that we see in the new Testament, that's only, that only comes through salvation. That's a spiritual uh, change that must occur. Um, and I don't know where Prager would fall on that. If children is 
creative or salvific. I think he's definitely more um, if you're I know he's he, he's taught that if you're good enough, you'll get into heaven or wherever um, places. You don't have to be a Jew in order to be saved, quote unquote. Um, really, if the scales are tipped in your favor, you're good. You know, you've done enough good works. You're fine. Um, so, yeah, it, it's their soteriology. His soteriology is very confusing. It's not um, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The third critical teaching of the first statement, I am the Lord, your God, who took you out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, is the importance and the meaning of freedom. Oh, boy. Note that God is not saying in this introduction to the Ten Commandments that he created the world. It surely would have made a lot of sense for God to introduce the Ten Commandments with this statement, I am the Lord your God who created the world. That is, after all, pretty impressive and would make sense. I created the world. You better listen to me. But no. The one thing God declares is that he took the children of Israel out of slavery and into freedom. That's how much God hates slavery. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> so this, God did not take them out of the land of Egypt um, to merely free them from slavery. Um, in fact, it had nothing to do with freeing them from slavery because of slavery's sake. Um, what's kind of interesting, Exodus 3 gives us exactly why um, he was bringing them out. If you look at Exodus 3.18, this is God speaking to Moses in the burning bush. He's given Moses a covenant name. I am that I am. Um, he's instructing Moses on what to tell the Israelites when he goes to uh, to visit, uh, to go and visit them. Um, he says, and I think this is when he's, um, yeah, speaking to the king of Egypt. So this, these are specific instructions for what to say to Pharaoh. He says, and they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Oh, wow, look at that. It's about worship. Um, what do you know? Um, so God is wanting to bring them out of the land of Egypt in order to uh, in order to worship him. God is looking for worshipers, right? He's looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. He wants his people to worship him. Um, and they can't do that properly while they are in Egypt um, as, sla as slaves and under bondage. So, sure, God certainly cared about their plight. He specifically told Moses that he's heard their cries and, and he's heard their wailings and he's heard their struggles. So he's not unsympathetic to that in a sense. Um, but at the end of the day, this ultimately is about God bringing them out in order to worship him. And what's interesting is. Um, God continues to show his mighty works to the Israelites after they are brought out of the land of Egypt. And the Ten Commandments actually follow very shortly after they are brought out of the land of Egypt. Um, it wasn't very long afterward that God brought Moses up to the mountain, gave him the tablets of stone, and brought them back to the people and instructed them how to live. Um, as, as we, Moses comes back from uh, his long month-long journey, and the Israelites are already falling into sin and doing debauchery and wickedness. Um, it, it didn't take them very long to live like the pagans. Um, so this, again, this is tied into Prager's understanding of the law as being a model for society. That's merely it, all it is. 
oh look god brought them out so he's look he's he hates slavery he's freeing them from slavery and so therefore um god is uh, setting the societal paradigm for us all to follow um and that's not what god was doing in bringing them out of the land of egypt it was to worship him that was the goal um and certainly to help them as as a secondary means but the primary goal was to worship him sacrifice to him um and call his people to himself yeah there's there's a there's several problems i have with it. um <laughs> first you're gonna run into a lot of trouble when somebody's like oh god hates slavery and then they start reading the rest of the uh the law <laughs> and realize that slavery is not abolished but merely regulated uh um, no <laughs> yeah god does not hate slavery. neither is he it might... in the new testament either <laughs> yeah neither is it in the new testament either um slavery was regulated um as to not be oppressive um you you see commands such as uh okay well if you if you beat your slave and cause permanent damage it'll talk about like losing teeth or whatever um right. that person is to go free you've lost any any right you have to that that person's slave yeah uh, or yeah the your jubilee letting slaves go free but god doesn't necessarily hate slavery in general just right. um abuse of it um, and really what's going on here is, is sl slavery is meant to point to another slavery that we have that we need to be freed from. And that's, uh, slavery to sin, right? Um, I see a little bit of a, a problem with how he's, he's using this, uh, as, as an introduction because people today weren't freed by God in the Exodus, Right. If he's saying this is the, the the preliminary statement to the Ten Commandments, I'm the Lord, your God that uh, freed you out of the land of Egypt. Right. Well, people today weren't freed from the land of Egypt. How, how does how it therefore apply to them if this is some sort of like this is the reason why you're to keep the following Ten Commandments? But if we understand its spiritual significance, it's a little bit um, more relevant to people today. Um, that's not to say that people that haven't been set free from the power of sin aren't obligated to keep the Ten Commandments. They still are. But the motivation for doing it is is different when you have been set free. Um, and then uh, I just wanted to read a, a couple uh, verses in regards to this. John eight thirty four. Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whoever committeth sin is the servant of sin, and the servant abideth not in the house forever but the Son abideth forever. If the Son therefore shall make ye free, ye, ye shall be free indeed. So some translations render these as a servant, other render them as slave, but uh, it's talking about slavery and freedom, right? Because it says, if the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. Um, so there's something about sin that has power over us, that constrains us. And then Paul elaborates on this in Romans 6. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered from you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity, uh, unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then, 
in those things whereof ye are now ashamed, for the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So there's a there's a picture in the Old Testament of being fr- uh, freed from sin, um, and it's a picture. It's pointing to the fact that we need an ultimate um, freedom. We need an ultimate exodus um, out of the land of Egypt. Egypt is often associated with sin and, and wickedness. Uh, we need to be set free from the power that sin has over us. Um, otherwise, we will receive the wage of it, and that is death. But um, Jesus Christ has the power to save us from that uh, wickedness. And we need to place our faith in him to be saved. And uh, that's, that's just, uh, that's completely lost when you, real, when you look at it just from the, uh, the, uh, the literal sense, I'll, I'll say, um, in regards to, oh, well, they were set free from the, uh, uh, from the Egyptians. Yeah, yeah, there's no... There's no typology going on in Prager's mind. It's, well, it's it's hard to have typology when you don't have the fulfillment. Because um, right. obviously we see yep. typology all over the Old Testament because we have the yep. fulfillment to compare it to. And like, oh, this pointed to this. Oh, this pointed mm-hmm. to this. Um, but when you don't have that fulfillment, um, I mean, you still can get the te- typology, but it's a lot harder to do so. Right. Yeah, he doesn't see, and that might be part of the reason why he goes the route he does in seeing this merely societal, because he can't go anywhere else with it, right? Yeah. If he goes the spiritual route, well, it has to be either saving me or it's pointing forward to something that's not yet to come or that mm-hmm. hasn't come yet, uh, and he doesn't have that fulfillment. So, and how important God considers freedom. The founders of America based their entire view of America on this belief that God wants us to be free. No, um, no. (laughs) We see very clearly in Scripture that um, there is a concept of slavery, even as it relates to Christians, right? You know, going back to Romans 6, like you talked about, Sean, um, Paul says we're either slaves of sin or slaves of righteousness, right? The concepts of slave, we're bound to our master, whether it be the devil in sin or whether it be bound to Christ um, and and living for him. But this this he's imposing um, an enlightenment concept of freedom back into theology, um, which we would reject. Uh, the freedom is not obligated of anybody. We are blessed in this country to have freedom. Um, and we're not complaining because we have freedom, but it isn't necessary. There's no human right as it relates to having freedom in the sense that he's talking about. Um, spiritually speaking, we are slaves of Christ. We are uh, slaves of those whom we serve. Um, and we, as slaves of Christ, are willingly following our master. Uh, it's not a burdensome slavery, um, but there is no freedom obligated to anybody whatsoever either physically or spiritually um so this again it's it's reading enlightenment uh, paganism back into uh, into christianity or judaism um and it's definitely creating problems as it relates to exegesis yeah um yeah humanity will be slaves to something 
like yep. for the person that wants to say, oh, well, I'm, I'm free from everything. Well, what that means is you are a servant of sin. You just don't right. realize it. Um, so you will be slave to something. And why would you want to be slave to the master that's cruel and will lead to your death as opposed to the slave to the all good God? Um, yeah. The founding fathers yeah. comment from Desiree. The founding fathers also weren't opposed to slavery. Yeah, yeah. And he says that uh, the founding fathers uh, were um, they they all believe that God was a um, was for freedom or opposed to slavery or something. A lot of them were deists uh, and believed that God wasn't involved in the affairs of humanity at all. So I, on on multiple historical grounds, it's just it's it's a it's a false statement. They wouldn't agree with you anyways, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and then it's not the same God. Uh, right is god so why are, why are we even appealing to them yep. yeah that is why the most iconic symbol of the american revolution the liberty bell has only one sentence inscribed on it a verse from the hebrew bible proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof liberty there was one you know that's from sean uh, I should I should have looked it up. I, I'll be honest, I, I didn't look it up. But looking at the New Testament fulfillment of what I, I suspect that is, like the liberty that's being proclaimed there is a liberty from sin. It's not a liberty from some sort of material slavery. <laughs> One other equally important lesson about freedom imparted by the opening statement of the Ten Commandments, what freedom means the giver of the Ten Commandments is in effect saying, I took you out of slavery and into freedom. And these Ten Commandments are the way to make a free society. No, 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 free- no. <laughs> no. I, that's, like oftentimes there are things that are implicit um, in a statement, uh, but there's normally some additional context to let you know that this is something implicit that you want to draw out here. Um, nowhere in it is it necessarily implied that, oh, this is for a free society. And you read the rest of the Old Testament and how the law is applied in the New Testament. And this, it's just not how it, that the law is applied. It's never applied like, oh, this is to make a free society. Mm-mm. Like, no. And, and, you know, unless you're some theon, you know, some Christians who claim that this would be the model of a free society, theonomist. Well, I don't even because they would go to the the civil laws. I don't even think a theonomist would say the Ten Commandments alone are a model for a well, free no, not alone society. It would definitely yeah. be part of it. Um, uh, yeah, no, definitely. Um, but yeah, yeah, if you're if you're making this the model at, for a free society by itself yeah i mean you're gonna have all kinds of problems but even you're gonna have problems on the civil side too mm-hmm. um because then you know you you have issues of fulfillment difference of covenants um what has been abrogated based on the fulfillment of the covenant um so i mean there's there's all kinds of covenantal issues that you get in when you pull back the onion even more um that you get into but this can't be a model of for, for free society in and of itself. I mean, it, it's not going to solve all of those societal problems. If it did, why were there civil laws imposed on top of the Ten Commandments anyways for the Jews who were given this law directly, right? And that's why we make that distinction between positive law 
in moral law. You had the moral law, which grounded and was the foundation of all of these other positive laws. And then you had the positive laws that were in addition to the moral law, which got into the nitty gritty of society itself. Clearly, even in their time, um, you didn't, the Ten Commandments weren't enough to run that society. God instituted positive laws to help do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it's very problematic. Yeah. And again, I'd like to point out, like if he's talking about physical slavery, right. the law <laughs> prescribed physical slavery, um, it, not right. an abusive form of slavery, yes. but slavery but it nonetheless. didn't forbid it. Yeah. Um, so... <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> People, if you do whatever you want, freedom comes from moral self-control. There is no other way to achieve it. Pause. And fourth and finally. Freedom comes from moral self-control. In a sense, I agree with you. But yeah. We are, we are born slaves to sin and do not have that moral self-control and merely knowledge of the law doesn't give us the ability to keep that law, to, to right. exercise the self-control that we actually need. Um, yep. Just knowing the law, many people know what the law is and they break it all the time. Um, it's not knowing what it is. We need to be set free. We need to be born again. We yep. need to have a new spirit put in us, one that loves God and therefore wants to keep his law. He's wow. assuming way too much about the human condition. And what's funny, when I did research on him, he he did um, say that men are, if I remember correctly, that men are not basically good. So mm-hmm. I don't know why he would think that this would be a consistent statement at all with his own view of, well, of the human condition. I have to imagine men are not good, so therefore we need a law. It's like, well, uh, like you, you've missed something there because men will just not keep the law. It doesn't, right. it doesn't matter. Do the um, evil that need, they want to do in the first yeah, place. You need a heart change, <coughs> a heart change, so that they want to keep that law. Right. And um, that's that's just just giving the law we cannot do that. It's it's not possible. And that's why we want um, Leviticus. Uh, Christie again says Leviticus twenty five ten. Is that the scripture he's referring to? I don't know. Do you know what Leviticus uh, 25, what was it, 25, uh, 10 25, 10. Yeah, we didn't look it up, and we should have. Um, Leviticus 25, 10. Oh, it might be, actually. I need to go to a different website, though, because it's not what I want. Oh, okay. So that's actually, that is referring to the Jubilee. Um, okay. So you All could, right. you, in terms of slavery, I guess you could apply that. Um, but that's it doesn't true. do away with the fact that slavery was still there and regulated under the, mm-hmm. uh, under the old covenant. Well, it's I, just I, that every, you know, at the year of Jubilee, those slaves were released mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and things like that. Yeah. Um, two things on that. A, that's another type that's pointing to a uh, 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 jubilee, a, uh, a freedom that we have in the new covenant. Yep. Um, so while there is there is actually a, a physical aspect there, um, or a material, or yeah, I guess you'd say f- a physical aspect there, um, that doesn't negate the fact that it's pointing to something. The second thing being, well, if God is anti-slavery, this verse doesn't like 
this verse is a problem because it's saying on the Jubilee year, the captives can go through free. Right. Well, Not that slavery as a principle is yeah. abrogated. <laughs> yeah. So every Jubilee year, fine, they can go free. But what about all the non-Jubilee years? <laughs> right. <laughs> what about the other seven years? Yeah. By telling us that he liberated the Hebrew slaves, God made clear that he cares deeply about human beings. It is impressive to create the world, but what most matters is not only that there is a creator, but that the creator cares about his creation. Yeah, you know, creating the world, that's nothing, but loving that, loving people, that's that's really what the big issue is here, Sean. Yeah. You um, never, never mind I created it out of nothing, but, you know, that that's, yeah, that's not a big deal. I mean, in other spots in the... Uh in the bible god grounds his the reason why we should obey, obey him in his creatorship i don't yes, have one he's the, the creators head, but, worship me <laughs> yeah so it's like okay in this one spot he's referring to his uh his salvation as the reason that you should obey him it's like oh well, I, I agree um because of salvation we as christians should obey him I, I i agree with that but that's not the exclusive reason why he is to be obeyed um, right. And Dennis Prager sort of treating it like, well, this is the reason because God cares about humans and hates slavery. That's the why, reason why we should obey him. Yeah. Um, and that's just it's not accurate. It's not accurate from a Christian perspective. And it's not an accurate. Um, it's not accurate from the Hebrew Bible as well. Yep. All of that is in the one statement with which the Ten Commandments begins. I'm Dennis Prager. So, yeah. We're already off to a great start on uh, on the Ten Commandments here from Dennis Prager. <laughs> mm. We haven't even gotten to the actual commandments yet. Um, so, Lord willing, next week we'll dive, start diving into the First Commandment. Um, uh, I think next week, aren't we having Andrew on? Oh, yeah, yeah I'm sorry. Yeah, next week we're going to be doing a Christology episode. Um, talking about immutability, the immutability of God as it relates to the incarnation. Um, so Andrew's going to be on next week. That's correct. And then, Lord willing, the week after that, we'll pick up where we left off. We'll see how that goes. Um, we're trying to set up some um, some guest appearances. Um, we have one guest lined up for towards the end of September. We'll announce that as we um, come uh, to that point. Um, but just some closing marks. Again, we're found on the Society of Reform Podcasters. You can check us and other podcasts out at reformpodcast.com. Uh, check out our blog at theparticularbaptist.net. If you're watching on YouTube and you like what you heard and haven't yet subscribed, hit that subscribe button and click the bell so you can be notified when we put out new videos. Um, but with that, everyone have a great weekend and Lord's Day, and we'll see everyone next week. God bless.